Welcome to Michael and Us. I'm Will Sloan, here as always with... Luke Savage. Hey, guys. We're recording this the day after the airstrikes on Syria, and I think the official Michael and Us position is, uh, thank you, Susan Sarandon. Yeah, well, so I mean, I guess you know, I was I was looking at Twitter before bed last night and all the sort of war things, we've you know hit everything on the checklist. I don't know if you saw it, but you got the reporter who has like a photo of, of, you know, like an airstrike occurring and being like, look at this brilliant photo, this super cool photo taken by my colleagues. So you've got uh, war erection stuff, the the professional remove of Western journalists from what Mm -hmm. they're actually covering. Yeah, you got um, certain ex trots turned uh, neocons. Yeah, practically aroused on the timeline, uh, naming no names. A lot of buttery males. Oh yeah, that, that Maureen Dowd was an article from two years ago where it was like Donald the Dove, Hillary the Hawk or whatever, lots of that. A lot of, I bet you Jill Stein voters are really <laughs> reconsidering now. Lots of people who should know better retweeting David Frum, you know? Yeah, yeah. We, we've got, well, got everything. You know, all the people who were like invoking Hillary and then of course the minute anybody points out that Hillary was urging Donald Trump to strike Syria a year ago. Yeah. Like their big objection to this seems to be the fact that Trump is obviously doing a wag the dog over the Stormy Daniels. How, thing. how many how many people do you think there's some liberals where what they're actually pissed off about is like because it's a Republican president, like they're not allowed to just fully enjoy it? Yeah, no, clearly. <laughs> and the fact that it's tied up in this unsavory porn star business uh-huh. is is you know unpleasant to them like if it was if it was obama doing it i don't think they would even notice Mm -hmm. so that's that's uh downbeat stuff to start the episode (laughs) but uh but i mean uh i don't even know how we segue into the other stuff it is it's horrible it's awful yeah um and it's it's really uh i mean it's really reminiscent of 2003 in some ways i mean if you express any doubts about anything it's uh you know terry glavin had a had a ridiculous column in the Ottawa Citizen the other day where he was calling Jeremy Corbyn an Assad lover, or like an Assad apologist mm-hmm. and stuff. And it's so depressing to see all the Democrats resort to the, well, isn't it a shame that Donald Trump is bypassing Congress mm-hmm. to make these strikes, which... I mean, I guess it is a shame, but that's not the biggest moral outrage of this, is it? Uh-huh. Well, maybe some of them could have voted a couple weeks ago. Some more of them could have voted in favor of the Sanders-Warren resolution to force force a congressional vote on, uh, on the war in Yemen. But, uh, you know, I guess you can't always get what you want. Go into greater detail. We see these beautiful pictures at night from the decks of these two U.S. Navy vessels in the eastern Mediterranean. I am tempted to quote the great Leonard Cohen. I'm guided by the beauty of our weapons. Um, and they are beautiful pictures of, uh, of fearsome armaments making what is for them a brief flight over to this airfield. Uh, th- sorry, there is no good segue. <laughs> there is a good segue. <laughs> well, listen, we have good news this week, which is that I'm now a cryptocurrency millionaire. For the non-Toronto listeners, and which we were just looking at the uh, analytics, and it turns out there are many, so hello to all of you. Hello to our nine <laughs> listeners in Helsinki. <laughs> um, you may not know about, uh, I guess, kind of one of the running sort of sleeper hit, you know, <laughs> jokes in Toronto the past few weeks, which is that you know, you've kind of been bombarded on the subway with these things that they look like something out of a Tim and Eric sketch or something like, 
it's hard to believe they're real. In fact, having seen them repeatedly, I had to, like, I had to actively remind myself they were real. And I'm talking, of course, of ads, as Toronto listeners will know, for the Toronto Real Estate Bitcoin Expo. Wealth Expo. Wealth I think Expo, wealth is a very me. key word. Was Bitcoin, that was in the title, though. Bitcoin was in the title, although I think in recent weeks they started to kind of downplay that in the marketing for obvious and, reasons. And so it had a picture of, like... If, strongly in the foreground uh sylvester stallone sly to his friends and what was he promoting he was kind of like there as a it was like motivational speaking that's what was weird about this like this event which took place at the metro toronto convention will be will by the way being the intrepid reporter that he is attended the event yeah also because when will commits to a joke he (laughs) takes it so far it's like um if you if you ever go onto will's timeline on monday morning and you or is it sunday where the morning Mordecai joke is now, you know, well into its, what, third year? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so most of the real estate and Bitcoin Wealth Expo was, you know, seminars and classes for how you can score big in the a burgeoning real estate or Bitcoin or cannabis market because mm. cannabis is going to be legal in, in Canada pretty soon. Or Although they had to not include cannabis in their marketing materials very much because apparently the minute you, you put anything about that on Facebook, Facebook just clamps down on mm. it. Well, so, they're going to have to fix that because pretty soon it's going to be possible to go to a small number of tightly regulated locations and purchase <laughs> probably substandard cannabis product to enrich a bunch of uh, oligarchs who a couple years ago were in favor of Putting people smoking marijuana in prison. Yeah, Uh, we did it. Anyway, 420. Full legalization, folks. But the main attraction of the real estate and Bitcoin Wealth Expo was their celebrity speakers who were (laughs) mostly motivational type speakers. Pitbull. Pitbull was it. So... (laughs) <laughs> I, I went to the Wealth Expo, but I only saw Pitbull and Stallone. They also had somebody from Dragon's Den, um, not on the ads, but they also had Adam Carolla from The Man Show, who did a podcast masterclass. So I'm sorry that I abdicated my responsibility. And, oh, did, you, and you didn't tell n- me? <laughs> no, no. I mean, we, we could have finally figured out a way to monetize this thing, but <laughs> I did not go to the podcast imagine masterclass. Going, imagine going to a podcast masterclass. <laughs> uh, but I, I saw Pitbull and I I saw Stallone and uh, Stallone on all those ads that we saw on the subway. It was, it said Sylvester Stallone knockout strategies, (laughs) which again is funny because he's not a real boxer. (laughs) He only played a boxer in in the movies. (laughs) Pitbull delivered this incredibly rambling speech. Uh, My girlfriend who I dragged along with me and was, (laughs) was, was very kind to come. I think she's a very special woman. Yeah. She she whispered to me during it, that it was exactly like a real life version of David Brent doing the motivational talk in the office. (laughs) Cause it was just this pastiche native American wisdom. Yeah. It was just this pastiche (laughs) of all the cliches you've ever heard you know, constantly contradicting himself. He started the speech by saying something along the lines of, you know, when I grew up on the streets, we had a business. It was called crack cocaine. A lot of people made some short-term money on that. A lot of people built businesses with that. But you know what? Short-term money isn't how you build a business. But then he also pointed out how a lot of people learned business through crack cocaine. So he was contradicting himself. It was stream of consciousness. But at one point he said something that I was very careful to commit to memory. He said, you know, music is the only business that sells everything but itself. If I had a dollar for every YouTube view, I'd be a $12 
billion dollar billionaire. Except I wouldn't be because I would use all that money to build hospitals and schools. <laughs> I wouldn't. Ho- I don't like those billionaires who hoard all their money. So Pitbull is a socialist. I guess that socialist thing of plutocrats building hospitals. <laughs> Although Pitbull actually did build a school in Miami. That's he was keen to tell us that he, he went and saw the Dark Knight Rises, and he was like, "Something has to be done." Yeah, but uh, Sean Craig had a great viral tweet storm about. Oh, it was so good. Yeah, and the one that I want want to point out he said pitbull now tells us that if we made fun of babies they would never learn to walk or stop crying but instead we teach babies and that i think you know as, as some words by Sean, never spoken really sums it up stallone much more professional although apparently he didn't realize when he arrived that he had to deliver a speech he thought it was just going to be a q a mm-hmm. but given that you know stallone's got a very well rehearsed life story his rags to riches story mm-hmm. about how he had to sell his dog and how you know the studio wanted to buy rocky from him but wanted to cast somebody else in the lead and he held firm he, he just he got up every morning at 5 a.m and broke some rags into a cup and I, then drank it funny you should say that because he said that that came from life because he was so <laughs> poor that all, that's all he could afford he he didn't have a stove so he that's how he got his protein wow um but he he's somebody who i think could do it a little more professionally but the thing that both pitbull and stallone said at this wealth expo was that money doesn't buy you happiness Mm. so it was a little off message and that's the message that i would like to relay money doesn't buy you (laughs) happiness that's what i learned at the real estate and bitcoin wealth expo (laughs) so this week we're continuing our epic multi-part journey into the oeuvre of the libertarian bad boys trey parker and matt stone last week we talked about south park bigger longer uncut this week we did a deep dive into the south park series proper i'm going down to south park gonna have myself a time friendly faces everywhere humble folks without temptation going down south park gonna leave my woes behind on up south i'm gonna see if i can't unwind come on down south park and meet some friends of mine yeah so we watched a few episodes and uh, i think we watched six six yes you know i think we watched a few that people requested we, we couldn't get to all of them because you know it's a saturday afternoon and life is short but mm-hmm. um we tried to kind of watch a bunch that I think are representative of the show's different phases. We didn't really get to anything in sort of the later phase of the show. Um, I, d- I don't think that it's really within the scope of this episode to talk about the last few seasons of South Park where they've adopted this kind of serialized format because I think that's like a full other phase. And so we may we may do that at some point. But let's just quickly list off the episodes we watched. So we watched Two Guys Naked in a Hot Tub, which is from season two. Uh, Butter's very own episode. We watched Man Bear Pig. Uh, we watched Something Walmart This Way Comes. We watched A Little Bit Country. What, what's and, the... and finally, we watched Trapped in the Closet. Trapped in the Closet. So mm. we wanted to start with a couple that were sort of in South Park's early, less topical slash political days, mm-hmm. and then move on to when they became the the Swifty and Satirists <laughs> that they would become. So revisiting those early episodes, like Butter's very own Mm -hmm. episode and Two Guys Naked in a Hot Tub, gotta say, pretty funny. Pretty funny. Two Guys Naked in a Hot Tub, it's part of this kind of suite of episodes in the second season where each of the boys has a different adventure on this night where there's a meteor shower. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is, I guess, Stan's uh, part of the adventure 
he gets kind of locked in this basement during a party. All the adults are upstairs. And there's kind of a B story where the police kind of surround the house thinking it's a cult and kind of a Waco situation. But the the main focus of the episode, as the title suggests, is that uh, Randy and Gerald end up in the hot tub because, you know, they've had a couple of drinks. They end up hilariously talking themselves into masturbating in front of each other (laughs) and then get hilariously awkward about it. And that's pretty much that's like the whole episode really there's something very truthful about it isn't there this kind of middle class middle-aged sexual insecurity the humor comes from the fact that it's it's two guys that have kind of been drilled into the humdrum of sort of like middle-aged life and so they're only just sort of like two bloody marys away from like you know, sexual experimentation and then instantly getting really uncomfortable about it. And sustaining their lives depends very much on not questioning it at yeah. all. Yeah. yeah, and not not going completely crazy. The other interesting thing about the episode is that whole Waco subplot, which mm-hmm. had a lot more currency at the time. Mm-hmm. This episode is political, but sort of only to the extent that an average episode of The Simpsons is political, where mm-hmm. it has kind of a vague distrust of authority. Mm-hmm. But also, this is how distrust of authority sort of manifested itself in the 90s. Like the idea that a Waco situation could happen and the government could come in and massacre everyone and not be held accountable for it. Right. Uh, I feel like that was something that was fueling a lot of like militia culture in the 90s, right? Yeah, I think uh, the 90s was sort of the, the, well, the peak of that. And of course, you had the Oklahoma City bombings and stuff, too. It was like, yeah, the peak of that sort of anti-federal government, like we need to arm ourselves and... Uh, Of course, those people are still kicking around. Um, And I'm sure a lot of them love Donald Trump. So we watched uh, Butter's very own episode, which is super dark. Plot of that one is that... uh, Another one about kind of middle-aged, middle-class sexual insecurity. Yeah, so uh, Butter's basically accidentally finds out that his dad is going to like a bathhouse and going to see some like gay porn and of course has no idea what's going on because it's Butter's and then their entire family just disintegrates and Butter's mom tries to kill him. But of course he doesn't drown. He just floats away in the car. The only sort of politics in it is, you know, Butter's parents, you know, end up making up a story about how Butter's was kidnapped by some Puerto Rican guy. And then (laughs) that gets them linked up with OJ Simpson and the, the Ramses and uh, Gary Condit. Get right. And, And so you know, I guess the point of that episode is just these people that say that someone took their kid, they're lying, they killed their kid. Uh, maybe this would be a good time to talk about what are Trey Parker and Matt Stone's strengths. Yeah. Aside from what makes them funny, they seem to have their finger on the pulse of a certain kind of working to middle class disaffection. Mm-hmm. Like they're both guys who grew up in suburban Colorado and they know something about the alienation of these communities, you know, with their shitty box stores. Well, and and of course, uh, you know, one of them, I I can never keep track of which one is which, but one of them makes an appearance in bowling for Columbine, right? Where he describes Littleton, Colorado as a a bunch of shitty houses with a shitty school in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like... When the boys in the show kind of like they're constantly saying, God, I hate this town so much and stuff. You know, they're kind of the they're surrogate voices for Matt and Trey. In terms of their politics, they're not very good at figuring like what are the big systemic problems that are the reasons for why their lives are such shit in these communities. Yeah. And I mean, that probably takes us into um, I mean, I guess we also watched the Scientology episode, but I, I assume anyone listening to this probably will have seen that one, right? 
the Scientology one was interesting to revisit. We'll get back to their politics yeah. in a minute, but it was an interesting episode to revisit because watching it, I had forgotten how influential it was. Mm-hmm. Scientology has always kind of been a bit of a joke, but I feel like there was this chill over it at the time. People were afraid to write about it because the church was so litigious. This is also the episode where I think most people learned about the actual beliefs of the church. Right, which had, I understand they, they were sort of made public... I mean, they're not public, but they'd come out in, in court documents, which are a matter of public record because mm-hmm. Scientology has been involved in so many like lawsuits and things like that. But may, were people concerned about printing this information because the church is so litigious? I don't know. Quite. Yeah, I mean, quite possibly. And uh, I think that also, when did Tom Cruise come on board? Because that was at some point in the 90s, right? Well, Tom Cruise has been a Scientologist since very early in his career. Because mm-hmm. uh, I know. only I only started to become aware of Scientology in the in the early two thousands, yeah. maybe slightly later. And it was through him, right? and it was because of the association of people like Tom Cruise and John Travolta. I feel like in the early two thousands, his Scientology, you know, before he had the big meltdown, his Scientology was almost regarded as this kind of quirk about yeah. him it was something that like people knew but they didn't quite know what to make of it mm-hmm. so i think yeah this it was part of this kind of wave of the first kind of stirrings of like public mockery of scientology which of course you know during the the famous kind of sequence where it's it's sort of the scientology creation myth it has the words on the screen this is what scientologists actually believe do you think it was also part of that new atheist culture at the time though like this episode was kind of embraced by the same sorts of people who enjoyed like sam harris and bill maher and oh absolutely yeah well yeah like all religion is stupid yeah just like well i mean i heard people say that like what's the difference between scientology and christianity or something you see stan there is a reason for people feeling sad and depressed an alien reason. It all began 75 million years ago. Back then, there was a galactic federation of planets, which was ruled over by the evil Lord Xenu. So I guess let's move on to the politics, because, I mean, I think we've had a lot of, you know, at least qualified praise of... We, we definitely enjoyed some of the episodes, but, I mean, the, the political one, so we started off... One I was resisting watching, because I'd only seen it once, and I remember it being the least funny episode of South Park, but which Will made the case for was Man Bear Pig. This is South Park's politics at its absolute worst. So, Will, what's Man Bear Pig about? The episode goes after Al Gore... Friend of the show. Friend of the show, Al Gore, lives on my street. Won the popular vote. And it also goes after the sort of climate change movement. Al Gore visits South Park to make the case that the world is threatened by uh, a seemingly fictional man-bear-pig combination beast. Man-bear-pig being a uh, surrogate for climate change. It's so weird because it depicts Al Gore as this kind of frothing fringe lunatic. Yeah, they meet him. They go, they go meet with him, and he's in a motel room. You know, tinfoil hat bullshit. Yeah. Which Al Gore, as a public figure, had a lot of currency around this time. I mean, he won the popular vote. <laughs> he won the popular vote. But I mean, like the fact that an inconvenient truth was such a successful movie at this time really speaks to you know how much people hated the Bush administration. Oh, absolutely. There's some plot where they end up going down a mine. And then Al Gore is so convinced they have to kill Man Bear Pig, he starts just like shooting everything in the mine, and then it collapses, and the boys get trapped in there. So, again, the implication is that, like, 
Al Gore's concern for climate change is actually going to get people killed. Right. You know, that's... <laughs> it's not a perfect metaphor, is it? No. And, and also throughout the whole episode, Al Gore is sort of grandstanding, talking about, oh, people are going to think it's so great that I single-handedly defeated Marin Bear Pig. And this is essential to the South Park Boys' philosophy, which is that not only is everybody who tries to do something to change the world misguided, but they're doing it for the wrong reasons. They're doing it because they want attention. Yeah, there's no there's no sincere political action. It's all just narcissism and like sublimated kind of ego. And why are they going after Al Gore for being a fringe lunatic when he's the exact opposite of a fringe right, lunatic? I mean, he's an establishment guy. It would be so much easier to have a go at Al Gore and be like, he's a suit-wearing liberal hypocrite who, you know, made a kind of cash-grabby sort of movie that, like, which, you know, we might actually do Inconvenient Truth. I've never seen it. Um, but, you know, and, and you could say that, like... The, well, the problem with an Inconvenient Truth for us is that, like, its politics aren't quite bad enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, its main function was as an information delivery system. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the effects of climate change, but what are his solutions mm-hmm. to climate change? Right. That's where the movie comes up short. Right. And right. that's where they could, you know, as I think you were going to, yes, yeah. you were going to say before I so rudely interrupted <laughs> you. That's where this episode could have gone after him mm-hmm. because his solution to climate change is very much we've got to work hand in hand with industry. Right. And there's no contradiction. Criticizing Al Gore for bringing climate change to people's attention yeah, is dumb. the wrong yeah. <laughs> yeah. angle of now, attack. I, I should, yeah. So, I mean, they can't have a go at Al Gore in that way. So instead they have to sort of shadow box with this like absurd caricature. And I mean, it doesn't sound at all like Al Gore. The The joke is that he says, instead of saying I'm super serious, he says I'm super serial. Yeah. Which like, that's not a thing anyone says. And the, the kids in the show keep saying over and over again, oh, that's Al Gore. I don't think he has any friends. Yeah. When there is hardly anybody more well-connected than Al Gore. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, what was the next political one we watched? Well, we watched Something Walmart This Way Comes, mm-hmm. which is their attempt to grapple with the Walmart phenomenon. Their critique of Walmart. This episode, I think, even better than the Man Bear Pig episode, really captures the sort of both sidesism they do that culminates in just political passivity mm-hmm. right because it's like uh they show you kind of the two sides of the walmart debate you know around when this episode came out when i lived in stratford there was a walmart that trying to open and there was a very similar debate where on the... is it going to crush small businesses yeah it's going to crush small businesses it's a big business with unfair and exploitative labor practices But then also, on the other hand, people saying, well, this is progress, like this is market efficiency. It's things at the lowest prices available, et cetera, et cetera. And so it kind of does show kind of how tacky Walmart is, how it feeds this need to kind of just like go and buy a bunch of crap just because it's cheap and not because you need it. I mean, it could have gotten more at how Walmart is sort of almost like a private sector welfare program Mm -hmm. in, in a lot of towns. Like it's one of the biggest employers in the United States anyway, and it they pay their workers so little in some cases that the government ends up having to subsidize food stamps and things like that. But, you know, in many cases, in many towns, it's like one of the biggest employers. The episode doesn't really get into that. They don't really get into that. What Uh, it shows Walmart as being is this kind of addiction. mm -hmm. People can't help themselves from going. Mm -hmm. People know it's wrong, but they can't help themselves from going. Uh, Which is is true. Uh But then it takes that metaphor to the point of like when they go to try to destroy the Walmart... You know, they're told by the the founder who's like, you know, you think you can stop it? Like, you know, what? Walmart has a mind of its own. Yeah. And then he tells them, though, that, you know, the Walmart has like a heart. So they go they go find the heart and the heart's just a mirror. Right. Because the idea is that, 
you know, uh, desire. This is just desire. It's a reflection of of us. And we we can defeat Walmart if we have the self discipline to defeat it. That's right. There's a scene where one of the founders of Walmart, who's like a drunk at a bar now, is talking about how. Uh, oh, every, everything has tried to defeat Walmart, but nothing nothing can. The labor unions can't defeat it. Uh, the government can't defeat it. Now they're all Walmart shoppers, and, and we've got to destroy the dark heart of Walmart. And the dark heart of Walmart is capitalism. Mm-hmm. But... Trey and Matt aren't going to say that. But for them, but for them, because they're libertarians, the, the heart of Walmart is just consumers. Mm-hmm. Because the market is just a reflection of people's desires to them. It's not a hierarchical system with power relations and stuff like that. So, so then at the end of the episode... It the, ends on a very nihilistic Oh note. my god. <laughs> so they burn down the Walmart and then they're like, let's go and shop at, you know, Jim's Drugstore because it's like a good, you know, local mm-hmm. whatever. And then, then you see Jim's Drugstore a year later and it's like this huge, like, box store. Then, of course, they burn that down and they're like let's go shopping at true value and then they go there and the implication is that you know there's actually nothing like this is just inevitable Mm -hmm. so the both sidesism is kind of fake right you know (laughs) and Uh, i think that philosophy reaches its zenith in the notorious episode a little bit country about the iraq war yeah i mean so we did this one because this is prime michael and us material i mean we could have almost done a whole episode about this one, and it really took me back. I'm a little bit country. Well, I'm a little bit rock and roll. I'm a little for supporting our troops. And I'm a little for bringing them home. I believe freedom isn't free. No, but war shouldn't be our goal. We must defend our country. If it means war, then we say no. This episode sees the town of South Park divided during the Iraq War by the pro-war and anti-war factions, and caught in the middle are the South Park kids who are just trying to do an essay on what the founding fathers would have they're, wanted. They're just they're just trying to learn Dagnamit, and the adults are like getting tangled up in politics and stuff. I think the word Iraq is only mentioned once or twice throughout the whole. Episode. Yeah, I mean, I don't even I can't even recall a specific instance of it, but perhaps in, in the song towards the end. I right. think they mention it, but right. you made a good point about they can. What did you say? They can only well, relate well, to, to the well, war. I mean, you, in so terms you of... have you have that. We I mean we called it the Iraq, or you called it the Iraq episode. You know, a few moments ago. But I mean, yeah, Iraq's barely mentioned, and like the debate they're having is only represented in the show as being like this cultural divide between people who are a little bit country and people who are a little bit rock and roll. There's no actual debate. It's just caricatures of the people who are pro-war, who are gun-toting sort of redneck types, and then the people who are anti-war, who are kind of hippies that, you know, are like no blood for oil, whatever. Something that keeps coming up over and over again is the idea that the the pro-war side likes country music and the anti-war side likes rock protest songs. Yeah, it's just sort of a cultural division. It's not like an actual clash of like values or or whatever. But eventually the episode concludes with the idea that both sides are essential to the yin and yang of America. (laughs) There's a flashback to, you know, Jeffersonian days. 1776. That has like, somewhere within it the ingredients of a good critique Mm -hmm. the thing that is funny in this episode is that cartman keeps deliberately injuring himself to try to get a flashback Mm -hmm. um so he like drops a rock on his head he jumps into like a thing and electrocutes himself so he goes back to find out like what would the founding fathers say about this and then you end up seeing this like benjamin franklin monologue and in the continental congress where they're talking about how uh 
if we let people protest and support the war, we found a country on both things, then we'll, we can get away with anything. Yeah, there's, there's, it's a cynical perspective. We can do whatever we want as long as we say we don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and that, somewhere in there, there's it, a good critique. For, for a split second, it almost seems like it's actually an anti-war critique. But then really what it is, is just, it's a total cop-out because it's them taking this meta perspective, this very shrugging kind of passive perspective on the whole debate, which is like, well, some people are going to be for it and some people are going to be against it. And that's America, you know, and it's like, okay, what do you think about it? Right. Well, somewhere in that scene, one of them talks about America being founded on protest. And the idea that comes across, if they had just pushed it a little bit further in this direction, protest is something that, that powerful people use to sort of sate the masses. Yeah. As long as the masses have the right to protest, they'll be fine with that. Yeah. And we can do whatever we want because mm-hmm. they feel like they're exercising their democratic rights. And I, I got to say the scene at the end where, you know, you, you had that kind of concert where it was a little bit country and a little bit rock and roll at the same time. That was exactly like for me, the rally to restore sanity which kind of had that exact same thing like there was a bit in that maybe we talked about it when we did the episode in that but where um cat stevens aka yusuf islam was playing peace train and then he gets interrupted by like stephen colbert and maybe alice cooper or something or you know it's and it's like yeah the the real divide is between like this one cultural block and this other cultural block everyone just needs to reckon like recognize that you know they're both essential yeah meanwhile America is still at war with Iraq. Yeah. So what is the compromise? Yeah, there is no compromise. Also, just the idea that the pro-war and anti-war factions are completely equal. Well, as you as you pointed out, the episode represents it as if the country was torn, you know, between the anti-war people and the pro-war people. And it's like, in 2003, at least, if you were anti-war, you were very much in a minority. The New York Times and the Washington Post endorsed the war. Lots of Democrats supported the war. Yeah, Michael Moore went on the Oscars and didn't support it. Yeah. That's kind of the extent. And and that was considered (laughs) off limits. He got booed by a lot of people. That was one of his genuinely courageous moments, wasn't it? It really was. But this episode has, like, the media literally coming up to the South Park kids and putting Bush's a Nazi signs in their hands and, and I saying, was, I what was, do you think of war? I Would was you say around in, in 2003 and I do not remember that happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you forget them towers in New York? Did you forget how it made you feel to see them towers come down? Were you like me? Did you think it weren't real? Uh, the first three episodes we watched I really enjoyed. Well, and there were a few we didn't get to. So, I mean, I really like the episode Super Fun Time, which is the one where they they go to the Pioneer Village where all the or the actors there, they refuse to break character. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then these people who just robbed a bank take it over and they're like pointing guns to the heads of the, you know, the actors, but they still won't break mm-hmm. character. That one's really funny. There's, you know, every so often there, there were those of kind of episodes. episodes. Absolutely. Even the bad episodes have funny scenes in them, you De- know? Definitely. But the funny scenes almost never have anything to do with politics because the politics is like so heavy handed. And when we were watching the, um, you know, Little Bit Country episode, you know, you made the point that it's amazing just looking at how kind of simplistic the politics in this are that anybody thought of these guys as like masterful political kind of satirists because it's it's pretty dumb isn't it and when you see the early episodes you can see where their strengths are it's not like the early episodes don't say anything that's true like they have a point of view I mean, there's a few more that we didn't get to that are in this kind of same vein i mean there was the night of the living homeless episode 
Um, you know, the same vein as like Man Bear Pig and Little Bit Country, yeah. where like where the prescription is stop giving homeless people money because your act of giving them money, your seemingly benevolent act of charity just is what creates homelessness in the first mm-hmm. place. Another one would be Smug Alert, mm-hmm. where all the people who buy hybrid cars are so smug that they're helping the environment that they're actually driving too much and they're creating <laughs> too much smog. I mean, that episode really... We thought about watching it, but it just sort of covers the same ground as some of the other ones. Or have you seen the one with the the hippie concert where, like, it's like if you don't get rid of the first hippie drum circle, they're just going to have a giant, Mm -hmm. like, the concert's just going to keep getting bigger until it takes over the whole town. Uh, Like, what is the actual cultural reason why guys from this background, Midwestern, sort of small town Colorado, why would they specifically hate hippies that much? I don't really have the... uh, Maybe it's just specific to Trey and Matt. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So despite all this, South Park hasn't really become toxic in the way that, I don't know, like the blue collar comedy crew or Dennis Miller or certain other Mm -hmm. right wing or right leaning comedy has. I think there are still a lot of left and liberal people who feel fondly about South Mm -hmm. Park. And it's probably just because it's funnier than those things. When it's been on for such a long time, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know what the ratings are for the the last few seasons. Because, like, they've taken on this strange serialized format where the season itself is, like, a complete story. Mm-hmm. And where, you know, there are, like, real world characters all the time and stuff beyond just the usual, like guest appearance by like this week they're making fun of michael jackson or whatever like it's actually like mr garrison is trump or Mm. whatever you know um and and they're doing uh as i recall from a few episodes i watched like there's a there's this character called oh what's his name the t this the new teacher at the school you know what i'm talking about yeah 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 Uh, but what's he called he's like uh i can't it's it's something like mr snowflake or like mr politically correct yeah yeah it'll come to me right after we finish recording but weirdly enough i mean based purely on anecdotal evidence i've heard people say things like oh have you seen the last season of south park Mm -hmm. it's actually kind of interesting really yeah maybe you've heard i i I watched, uh, I tried to watch one or two episodes like a few months ago from like Mm -hmm. the recent season and I didn't, I didn't laugh at all. I didn't think they were good at all, but, uh, I don't know. But I just think it's interesting that South Park hasn't, hasn't been repudiated to the extent that certain other things, probably also the fact that they posture as equal opportunity offenders, no matter how Mm -hmm. thinly they do it. Kind of, kind of like Bill Maher. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) And they're, and they're funnier than Bill Maher. They are much funnier than Bill Maher. Yeah. Hey, all you un-American bastards! If you don't like America, why don't you get out? I don't know how far we're going to take... You know, we might take a little break from the Madden Trey universe but at some point we got to do team america because i've Mm -hmm. only seen that once did not think it was very good so Mm -hmm. that's an interesting bit of paraphernalia and i mean maybe we could consider at some point doing uh you know some of the uh the more recent seasons try to actually you know watch half of one or something but until then i i I confess i have a bit of a south park stomach ache yeah same (laughs) you know i put an appeal on twitter last week because i'm really salivating to do a howard dean episode because you know (laughs) howard dean's twitter you know you know that like really progressive anti-war candidate howard dean has been on twitter uh yeah. attacking donald trump for like being soft on putin and shit like that um <laughs> friend of the show prominent i believe pharmaceutical lobbyist and, and it turns out so i put out an appeal like is there a howard dean documentary it turns out there is because i feel like howard dean is he's so important to the michael and us universe and i feel like he's always been sort of a peripheral character and i think he deserves his time in the spotlight wouldn't you agree all right let's do it yeah so that'll be that'll be coming up at some point i've also i think i've browbeat will into doing a 
Star Wars The Last Jedi, which I think is going to be one of our strongest episodes. And yeah, I don't know. Until then, I guess um, I was listening to, you know, a, one of those professionally made podcasts. Maybe they went to the... Uh, was it called The Important Cinema Club by any <laughs> chance? <laughs> well, I was going to say maybe they went to the uh, the Bitcoin like podcast seminar or whatever. <laughs> um, but they, they do this thing where they tell people like, you know, you make sure to like us on iTunes and give us a five star rating. Oh, yeah. Because it improves that. the algorithms. And I don't think we've ever done that. So um, if, that, you, if you want to be friends with us, as I'm sure you do, if you want to <laughs> if you want to think that you're kind of in the Mike Lennox inner circle and you, you want us to like you, you know, maybe go out and write a write an iTunes review. You never know. <laughs> yeah, I don't really understand how all the ratings and stuff work, uh, but apparently you know, there's something to do with the algorithms, you know, it'll make us, uh, you know, put us higher on certain lists and stuff. I know that for a while, uh, I don't know if we've talked about this on air as it were, but you know, we were just neck and neck with like the Minions 2 podcast that only mm-hmm. had one episode that's like several years old. It yeah, was... this is on the iTunes TV movie podcast charts, mm-hmm. which I think are frankly biased against. I us. think they're a little bit rigged. Yeah, but the fact that we've been able to make a dent on them a couple of times, I think is to we're, our We're credit. neck and neck with the Minions folks, and you can help us uh, beat that one episode of <laughs> the Minions from a few years ago mm-hmm. with, uh, with a five-star rating. And, you know, we didn't get to talking about friend of the show Paul Ryan and wishing him a happy retirement but i guess i guess people probably know what we would say about him the question i have about paul ryan watching all the people like nancy pelosi talk about you know what what an honorable man he was or like ann navarro i think said he's an honorable principled man who got led astray by trump and maybe maybe now that he's retiring he'll he'll find the courage to put country before party What are these people going to do if Trump actually does get shamed out of office and they've rehabilitated everyone around him? What are they going to what are they going to fight against? I guess there's always like a it's like a little ecosystems. There's always like a bogeyman. They'll fixate on somebody new and then they'll rehabilitate the last wave of like crappy people. So they're mm. like exiles from the Trump administration and it'll just be this endless cycle of rehabilitation and the invention of new bogey people. And then there's just, and then, but no consistent cleaving to any like principles of, or particular directives of resistance, just <laughs> the, just the, the same old shit. Did you see that one from the guy who's like actually a politics reporter with, I think NBC. And it was like, you know, I see, I'm seeing a lot of snark on here about Paul Ryan, <laughs> but he made the case, a principled case out of conviction for small government and there's honor in that like whatever you think about it the, yeah these people don't care about the actual substance of the ideas what they one of the things they hate about trump is the idea that he like is a fake republican <laughs> and that he doesn't actually have any principles see paul ryan's great because he wants to liquidate the american underclass but he's got graphs and charts to show you how he's going to do it that is one of his selling points though isn't it the fact that he really believes it and therefore that's good unlike trump who doesn't really believe it mm-hmm. which which is why the uh, the bernie sanders response was so perfect right yeah yeah where he's just like paul ryan was always honest about you know pushing the Koch brothers agenda which is great <laughs> so more of that please and less of this chuck schumer nancy pelosi bullshit now watch this drive i like to rock but i don't want to rock i rock the only kind of rock in america should do is the kind that we can all dance to yeah. we got gps icbms and good old-fashioned lead we're gonna show saddam what america means that son of a bitch will be dead why are we fighting this war there's a man in the office we didn't vote for they didn't 
give me a choice. War is not my voice. Yeah! Hey, I'm a little bit country. And I'm a little bit rock and roll. Yeah. I'll be the muscle of America. And me, I'll be the caring soul. And when you put us together, you get a nation with one goal to thrive and prosper. With a little country and rock and roll. Come on up here, everybody. We're a little bit country. We're a little bit rock and roll. We could be a nation that believes in war. And still tells the world that we don't. Let the flag for hypocrisy fly high from every pole. Cause we're a little bit country. And we're a little bit rock and roll. Well, good night, everybody. It sure has been great bringing you 100 episodes. We want to thank our guests, the pro-war people. And the anti-war people. What the hell are they doing now? I, I don't know. For the war, against the war, who cares? 100 episodes. I hate this town. I really, really do.